I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. Inquiring mind, inquiring awareness, Sashin, day two, talk three. To start with a quote from Sazaki Roshi. Sitting here with tears in our eyes, it's the most wonderful life, isn't it? It's the most wonderful life, isn't it? I love this quote because it touches the deep sadness and pain of the practice life of life and also the beauty of feeling it deeply and this deep sincerity that it takes to show up for ourselves and for each other. It's difficult. It's difficult to sit here hour after hour, day after day, with our physical discomfort, our wanting, our anger, our inner criticism, our judgments, our memories, our regrets, our fears, and those of the people around us. And to not look away. It takes courage, and it takes faith, and it takes love. And that's beautiful. sitting here with tears in our eyes. It's the most wonderful life, isn't it? Zazen inquiry, sashin, is a purification process. It's like a fast or a deep tissue massage or a surgery. (laughs) Popping a pimple. hurts sometimes. (laughs) It can really hurt. Sometimes sashin is likened to putting a snake in a bamboo tube. And the snake didn't know it was a snake until you put it in the tube and it started wiggling around and hitting up against the walls. Sashin shows us where we wiggle, where we resist, it shows us our tender spots that hurt when they bang up against the wall over and over and over again. And the only way for the snake to stop hitting up against the walls of the bamboo tube is for it to calm down, to be still, to surrender. So it's like you just show up, you just put yourself in the tube. In the container of sashin, you sit here and you try your best to be still, to be present, to let go. And 
little by little, it happens. The purification happens. The impurities float to the surface and you can pick them out, you can look at them with inquiry, with kindness. Or you can just let the wind of truth blow them away. This is a poem from the Nantation. It's her death poem. Nantation was uh, the good friend of the Zen poet Ryokan. And they met when Taishin was in her 20s and Ryokan was in his 70s, I think. And they had this beautiful friendship that was recorded through poetry. And this is written now 40 years after Ryokan's death at her death. Distant waves seem to come, seem to go. So I have lived my life leaving everything to the blowing wind. This letting go, this settling. The metaphor of the snake also highlights Uh, The part of it that's our responsibility. The part of it that we have to do. The getting still, the getting present. Liberation, true satisfaction is not something we have to do or make happen. It is fundamentally what we are. But getting still and present enough that we can recognize that truth is our work, is what we must do. And no one can do it for us. Getting still and getting present enough to see the impurities, to see the dis-ease, to feel it, to inquire into it. This is our job as lovers of freedom, as lovers of truth. From the Dhammapada, by oneself evil is done, by oneself one suffers, by oneself evil is undone. No one can purify another. Only we know our own minds, and only we can do the work moment by moment, present, looking. We create our suffering by believing our thoughts. Through attaching to that which is not true, we suffer. Through our greed, our anger, and our ignorance manifested in our bodies, in our speech, in our thoughts, we suffer. And the good news is that if we create it, if it is something added to our direct experience, then we can undo it. 
we can release it. We can unentangle it. Peace of mind, great love, full liberation from suffering is possible. This is the promise of our practice of deep stillness and of inquiry. Again, I'd like to read Dogen's death poem that I read yesterday at closing the talk. For 54 years following the way of heaven, now leaping beyond, shattering every barrier, amazing to cast off all attachments while still alive, plunging into the yellow springs. From Bodhidharma's Bloodstream Sermon. Once you stop clinging and let things be, you'll be free. Once you stop clinging and let things be, you'll be free even of birth and death. You'll transform everything. You'll possess spiritual powers that can't be obstructed. And you'll be at peace wherever you are. And you'll be at peace wherever you are. If you doubt this, you'll never see through anything. You're better off doing nothing. (laughs) It's quite intense. (laughs) Quite a high bar. He's pointing to this truth that we must have faith. We must have faith in ourselves and we must have faith in the potential of liberation in ourself and also in others. We must have faith in our fundamental awake nature, Buddha nature, faith that thoroughly awakening to our true nature, as Bodhidharma says, will be at peace wherever we are. Being at peace wherever you are, this is radical. This is like a radical kind of acceptance. Not just being at peace when we're sitting in the zendo, not just being at peace on the sunny day, not just being at peace when we have what we want, but wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. So having faith in that potential, we have to keep looking. We have to keep questioning, we have to keep returning until we can know that for ourselves because somebody else telling us that is not good enough. And Bodhidharma tells us how. He says, stop clinging and let things be. Easier said than done. (laughs) Stop clinging and let things be. Once I was telling a good Dharma friend Um, just stop clinging, (laughs) just let things be, and you're already free, there's there's nothing wrong, there is no suffering, and um, he grabbed my arm like this, and he said, Sinead, why don't you just let go, huh, why don't you just let go, (laughs) it's, there's, nothing's grabbing you, you know, and, and that was such a beautiful example of how it feels, 
right? Um, how, how do we let go? I heard um, that Tongan Roshi would give this demonstration. Some people would ask him how. <clears throat> Anshin, you're going to have to help me out here. And he would hold up his stick. And go like that. And then we do that. We pick it back up. <laughs> so it's actually um, quite simple and easy for him to say. Because I'm sure that he had practiced that for many, many, many years. And he would also say that, but just, just to point out that that's true, that that um, that we are the ones doing the grabbing and that we can learn to, as Uchiyama Roshi says, open, open the hand of thought, open the hand of clinging. And when people would ask him how, he would say, asking how is looking off. Asking how, trying to figure it out, is looking off. Another Zen teacher would say, just do it, just do it. This, I heard this is where Nike got their phrase. I don't know if that's true, but just do it. And Zen is sometimes referred to as a steep path without handrails. It's like, just, just let go. But as we continue the practice of presence, of stillness, of calm abiding, letting go, breathing, as we continue inquiring into these questions of what is suffering and what is the source, and am I really free? For hours, for days, for months, for years, for a lifetime, little by little, gradually we begin to be able to let go, to stop clinging to things and just let things be. So it's gradual. We must be patient and we must not stop walking. Stop practicing. Stop returning to the present moment. It's gradual when we look back and we tell the story in the realm of time. And also, it's really always only now. Practice only happens now. Everything only happens now. 
It's sudden. It's immediate. Another quote from Bodhidharma. Once mortals see their nature, all attachments end. Once mortals see their nature, all attachments end. Awareness isn't hidden. Awareness isn't hidden, but you can only find it right now. It's only now. If you really want to find the way, don't hold on to anything. Once you put an end to karma, you can think of karma as um, thoughts of past and future or keeping track of cause and effect. Once you put an end to karma and nurture your awareness, I love that line, nurture, nurture your awareness. Any attachments that remain will come to an end. Understanding comes naturally. So after devoting ourselves to the practice of now for some time, now, 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 nurturing our awareness, walking through the midst, the mist of daily practice. Um, Suzuki Roshi talks about this gradual opening as like a person walking through a fine mist in the forest and they can't even really tell that they're getting wet. And then after a long time, they realize that their clothes are completely soaked. So this is a metaphor for this um, gradual awakening that happens as we continue to return and return and return to now. So after devoting ourselves to the practice of now for some time, we will find ourselves momentarily or even for extended periods of time in a downpour we get glimpses or sustained clearings of deep knowing, of true nature, of awakening, of unobstructed presence, of true inclusivity, of freedom, of satisfaction. In Zen, especially Rinzai Zen, um, this experience is referred to as kensho, this glimpse, this seeing, this recognition of true nature. And it is said to be the beginning of practice, the beginning of practice. So we have seen it, and now it is our task to become it, to make this opening, this recognition, this liberation from suffering, our lived moment-to-moment experience reality in all conditions, at all times, and to intuitively understand how to help others to follow that same path. I want to read a little bit from Hakuin Zenji, the great master Hakuin. Uh, This is his book called um, The Four Ways of Knowing. Uh, It's titled Hakuin and Kensho.
I'm going to read a, a fair bit because I find this quite inspiring and um, also instructive and clarifying. What is great, perfect, mere knowing? After great will, or sometimes translated as great doubt, after great doubt, great faith, and great determination are aroused, you should then constantly ask, who is the host of seeing and hearing? Walking, standing, lying, down, sitting, active or silent, whether in favorable or unfavorable circumstances, throw your mind into the question of what is it that sees everything here and now? What hears? Question like this, ponder like this. Ultimately, what is it? What is it? If you keep on doubting continuously with a bold spirit and a feeling of shame urging you on, so this shame is like um, knowing that we haven't seen it or that we're not seeing it or that we're caught or that we're not manifesting our highest potential. So it's not um, criticizing ourselves, but just that doubt, that doubt, knowing that there's some division here, there's something not quite being seen. Question like this, ponder like this, what is it? If you keep on doubting continuously with a bold spirit and a feeling of shame urging you on, your effort will naturally become unified and solid, turning into a single mass of doubt throughout heaven and earth. This, your spirit will feel suffocated, the mind distressed like a bird in a cage, like a rat that has gone into a bamboo tube and cannot escape. Sound familiar? <laughs> At this time, if you just keep going without falling back, you will feel that you are entering into a crystal world the whole world, inside and outside, mats and ceiling, houses and cars, fields and mountains, grasses and trees, people and animals, utensils and goods, are all as they are, but like illusions, like dreams, like shadows, like smoke. When you open your eyes clearly with presence of mind and see with certainty, an inconceivable realm appears that seems to exist, yet also seems not to exist, in a way. This is called the time when the knowing essence becomes manifest. This is called the time when the knowing essence becomes manifest. If you think, oh, this is wonderful and extraordinary and joyfully become infatuated and attached to this, you will, after all, fall into the cave of demons and will never see the real awakened nature. Sound familiar? <laughs> Then, if you keep going without retreating, the conscious spirit will suddenly shatter. The conscious spirit will suddenly shatter. And the awakened nature will appear all at once. This is the great perfect mere knowing. 
Because one's power in the way is weak and one's perception of reality is not perfectly clear, the great perfect mere wisdom is associated with the easternly direction and is called the gate of inspiration. Right? This sort of experience is inspiring and we've all tasted bits of this or maybe big pieces of this. This is called the gate of inspiration. It is like the sun rising in the east. Although the mountains, rivers, and land receive the sun's rays, they are not yet warmed by its light. Although you may have seen the way clearly, if your power of shining through, if your power of shining through is not strong enough, you will be blocked by inherent and chronic afflictions. Sound familiar? <laughs> Inherent and chronic afflictions. And you will still not be free and independent in both agreeable and adverse situations. This is like someone who has been looking for an ox and who may one day see through to the real ox. But if she doesn't hold the halter firmly to hold it in check, it will sooner or later run away. Once you have seen the ox, make ox herding your only concern. Without this practice, after awakening, many people who have seen reality miss the boat. Therefore, to reach knowing of equality, do not linger in great perfect mere knowing. Go on and on. Keep practicing. Concentrate on practice after awakening. I'll read one more paragraph. After you have reached the non-dual realm of equality of reality, it is essential that you then clearly understand the awakened one's profound principle of differentiation. After this, you must muster the methods for helping sentient beings. Otherwise, even though you have developed and attained unhindered knowing, you will, nevertheless, be unable to realize total unobstructed knowing. You will lack freedom to change in any required way to help sentient beings, to awaken yourself and others. Stop there. So he... he goes through three points in that part that I wrote, wrote read, and he, he goes on. But just to reiterate the three points, we must awaken, we must see clearly our true nature, and then we must devote ourselves to wholehearted practice after that. And that's not enough if we can't share it with other people, if we can't help other people also to see that. So I feel the essence of Hakuin's teaching and of the Rinzai tradition of which we are a part is this continuous, wholehearted practice that never ends. We never get to the end. It's, it's now, it's always now, it's always giving ourselves to this moment. In the, um, in the One Drop Sangha of Shoto Harada Roshi, which I practice with some, each morning they chant a, 
the preface to the recorded sayings of Zen Master Rinzai, which is uh, just a short kind of bio of the important events of Master Rinzai's life. And uh, one of the lines is, Planting pines as a landmark for later generations, he dug the ground. With his mattock, the others were nearly buried alive. Planting pines as a landmark for later generations, he dug the ground with his mattock. Some kind of tool, I guess. The others were nearly buried alive. So you can just kind of imagine Rinzai, right? You know, he's like, you know, and 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 maybe moo, moo. You know, this koan, this giving himself to the activity, which is kind of the hallmark of the Rinzai tradition and you know really points to this very important essence of practice you know we may not personally manifest in that physical way and yet that complete wholehearted entering into our life that uh, boring into our our koan and 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 questions our deep life questions and you know emphasizing it and prioritizing it and making it especially during sashin important crucial eminent as hogan roshi says you know to to resolve the matter of our life and death and this is the um mandate of Zen, of freedom. Zen Master Dogen reminds us, life and death are of supreme importance. Life quickly passes by and opportunity is lost. Each of us must strive to awaken. Awaken, take heed, do not squander your life. Do not squander your life thinking about something else. We know the deep satisfaction that's possible. So Hakuin, who was known for a wholehearted practice, had many profound and liberating awakenings, many. And also his life is an example of the delicate balance of right effort in practice. So to practice intensely, wholeheartedly, and to not mistake intensity for Intensity. Intense does not mean tense. The Buddha gave a wonderful metaphor um, in the Sona Sutta, and he likens right effort in practice with tuning the strings of a rudravina, a stringed instrument like a guitar. Too loose, and you can't play the instrument. You know, it's like, bong, bong, you know, we're just like, <laughs> sound familiar in <laughs> meditation. Too tight, 
and the strings will violently snap. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I mean, they'll actually snap off and maybe hit you in the face and you could really get hurt. So we give our lives wholeheartedly. We give our lives wholeheartedly without, and this is important, without trying to get something or make something happen or force something or... So it's so delicate and we're always getting too tense or too loose. And so our practice is in a way just learning to find that balance, that place of total alignment with the present moment without trying to get it, without forgetting it, turning away and touching are both wrong. Hakuin sometimes got a little too tight, as you might imagine, (laughs) and he would neglect the needs of his body. He wouldn't eat or drink or sleep, Um, and he would, I imagine, get caught, like we all do, by wanting and striving and self-criticism. And he would get tight. And Hakuin developed what came to be termed as Zen sickness. He became very ill and very tense, so much so um, that he was no longer able to sit zazen at one point, and he had to seek out medical help. Uh, He went to a Taoist hermit named Hakujo to learn um, practices of deep relaxation and of... Uh, breath and flowing of energy in the body. So later in his life, he became a big proponent of healing energetic blockages through deep, re- deep relaxation, through breathing practices, through Taoist uh, qi practices. And I'd like to share one of them with you. This is a, a practice, um, I think it's called the butter egg practice. And in it, you imagine that there's like a, an egg made of butter or honey butter that melts down your body. So I'll read his description. You can close your eyes. It's called the soft butter method. Master Hakujo, Yakujo or Hak, I think it's Hakujo, um, taught him this. So here's Master Hakujo's instruction. When a student engaged in meditation finds she is exhausted in the body and mind because the four constitute elements of his body are in a state of disharmony, she should gird up her spirit and perform the following visualization. Imagine that a lump of soft butter, or soft, sweet butter, pure in color and fragrance, and the size and shape of an egg, is suddenly placed on the top of your head. As it begins to slowly melt, it imparts an exquisite sensation moistening and saturating your head within and without. 
it continues to ooze down, moistening your shoulders, your elbows, your chest, permeating your lungs, your diaphragm, your liver, stomach, and bowels, moving down the spine through the hips, pelvis, and buttocks. At that point, all the congestions that have accumulated within the five organs and the six viscera, all the aches and pains in the abdomen and other affected parts will follow the heart as it sinks downward into the lower body. As it does, you will distinctly hear a sound like that of water trickling from a higher to a lower place. You can imagine that sound. It will move lower down through the body, suffusing the legs with beneficial warmth until it reaches the soles of the feet where it stops. So he says the student should then repeat this contemplation and refresh the vital energy, suffusing the body with permeating warmth, making them feel like they are sitting up to their navel in a hot bath filled with a decoction of rare, fragrant medicinal herbs that have been gathered and infused by a skilled physician. So I I recommend this practice if you start to feel tense or imbalanced, stressed, just to relax. The practices also of kindness, generosity, appreciation, compassion, calm abiding, these are all practices, good remedies for striving and tension stagnant chi that happens when we're trying to get something. Again, I'll continue the quote from Bodhidharma earlier. Once mortals see their nature, all attachments end. Awareness isn't hidden, but you can only find it right now. It's only now. If you really want to find the way, don't hold on to anything. Once you put an end to karma and nurture your awareness, any attachments that remain will come to an end. Understanding comes naturally. You don't have to make an effort. But fanatics don't understand what the Buddha meant. And the harder they try, the further they get from the sage's meaning. All day long they invoke Buddhas and read sutras, but they remain blind to their own divine nature. To their own divine nature. Trying to find something, striving for enlightenment is suffering. As Nansen says to Joshu in case 19 of the Mumon Khan, If you try to direct yourself towards it, you go away from it. I heard that Tongan Roshi used to tell his students that you could give up all desires except the desire for enlightenment. (laughs) 
that one could be kept. <laughs> but of course, at some point, we have to give that up too. Perhaps Hakuin would say that you have to give up all desires except enlightenment and the desire to help others. I don't know if we ever give that one up. So to have the intensity of wholehearted practice, the deep commitment to truth, alongside a deep letting go, surrender, love, relaxation. Later in the preface of the recording sayings of Zen Master Rinzai, there's another line that always inspired me. He shut his room and stopped his words as the pines grew old and the clouds idled. He found boundless contentment within himself. He shut his room and stopped his words. As the pines grew old and the clouds idled, he found boundless contentment within himself. Boundless contentment, also sometimes translated as profound satisfaction. Profound satisfaction. This is the promise of our practice. I'll close with a poem. This is from the book, The First Free Women. It's a collection of interpretive translations uh, of the awakening poems of the first Buddhist nuns. This is a poem from a nun named Chitta, which means heart. Somehow I kept climbing. Somehow I kept climbing, though tired, hungry, and weak. Old, too. At the top of the mountain, I spread my outer robe on a rock to dry. Set down my staff and bowl. Took a deep breath. And looked around. It was windy up there as I was leaning back against a large gray rock. The darkness I had carried up and down a million mountains slipped off my shoulders and swept itself away in the wind. Thank you for climbing this mountain together. Please continue.